the very first thing is to identify that moment, that very first moment when you felt threatened or you didn't feel safe, whichever one of those resonates with you the most, because in that moment is where your perception of the world changed. It's unpacking that story and understanding that that is where the healing has to begin. Hey, Midlife Ladies, welcome to the Dear Midlife Podcast. We're your hosts, Shelby Bybee, karaoke party queen, single mom, and an extrovert to a fault. And Trinity Greenfield, a wild-haired little girl living in a grown woman's body that's still full of sass with a sprinkle of some black girl magic. So girls, grab a glass of wine or your beverage of choice and join us for some unapologetic girl talk that will help you to remember who you are and figure out who in the hell you want to become. Let's go. Our guest today, Allison Roberts, knows what it takes to make it in this world. As a young woman, she found herself homeless, pregnant, and forced to live in her car. However, Allison was able to persevere and harness the power of adversity to overcome her circumstances and thrive. And now she helps others do the same. Her system of personalized science, the combination of brain work and spirituality, combined with her grace and sense of humor, have made her a highly sought after coach, speaker, and business collaborator. Recently, Allison was recognized by FreeSpot, a Forbes affiliate, in the designation of the top 100 coaches in the world. Allison is the founder of Outrageous Freedom and best-selling programs such as Painless Pivots to Power and Unapologetic Power. Her new book, The Spiritual Journey, is now available wherever books are sold. If you're really enjoying the Dear Midlife podcast, please leave us a review. And now, without further ado, let's welcome our guest, Allison Roberts. Hello, dear Midlife listeners, and welcome today. We are so thrilled to have with us author, transformational coach, and motivational speaker, Allison Roberts, who has a story to tell us, a story of her as a child growing and surviving through challenges in her household and then developing into an amazing story as an 18, 19 year old venturing out on her own and the spiritual journey that she ended up going through to survive trauma and the things that she's going to share with us and not just survive my friends, but to thrive. So I want you to get your pen out. I want you to get some paper out. I want you to take some notes because so many of us have gone through, you've heard us talk about these big T's You've heard us talk about these little teas. Allison's going to give you all the tea today, honey. And in the tea, there's going to be some tips, some tricks of what you can do to go back and thank your old 19, 18-year-old self and that little girl inside of you for helping you get to where you are today, surviving and thriving, and the things that you need to do or can do in order to get there. So Allison, Thank you so much yeah. for joining us today. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. I love that I'm here. Thank you so much for inviting me into your space and just having me share with your audience. I love it. 
Oh, God, we love it, too. We knew when we heard your story that yours was a story for sharing. Yours is a story of hope. Yours is a story of growth. Yours is a story of transformation, starting in a place and ending up probably somewhere so different than all of the statistics said you should have ended up. Oh, yeah. My goodness. We want you to take some time and share with us. Sit down and let's have some story time, honey. And talk to us about your story. Where did it start? And take us on your journey with you. So it started on a dirt road when my Volkswagen Beetle had run out of gas. (laughs) And I've had this story, but I think mine ended differently. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I, I, um, my gas gauge was broken on my car and, Mm -hmm. and it's something that I knew. Um, and one Sunday afternoon, I just said, I'm going to go on this long drive in the country. And um, I didn't check my gas mm. and I ran out of gas. And so I was sitting on the side of the road and I'm like, well, what am I going to do? Because I literally was out in the middle of nowhere, like in the middle of nowhere. So I thought, you know, I can either walk. Um, I knew of a gas station. So I was like, oh, that's probably going to take me a couple of hours or maybe I'll just sit here for a little while. And so I had been sitting in my car for about an hour and a half and I was getting ready to take the walk because the sun was going to be going down pretty soon. And this beautiful boy in a pickup truck came toward me and he hopped out and he was like, what's going on? And I told him that my car was out of gas and he was like, well, I can either go get you gas and you can stay here or you can get in my truck and you can come with me. And I know all of y'all are thinking like, girl, don't get in the truck. But it honestly, really sincerely was just a different time. You know, you know, this was like 1984 and it just was a different time. Mm -hmm. So I got in his truck with him and we were inseparable after that. We fell pretty much madly in love. Um, and two weeks later he was like, it doesn't make any sense for you to keep driving back home. So why don't you just move your stuff in my house? Which later was this? Two weeks. <laughs> I thought you said wow. two weeks. I was like, so yeah, really she said months. Okay. Don't recommend that. Don't, don't, I really don't recommend that, um, at all. But I was living in an abusive household and going to college and working two part-time jobs. And, and he just seemed to be the missing piece to my puzzle. The so, night. That yeah. white night that we always dream yeah. of, right? Yeah. The white night. White night in um, a pickup truck. <laughs> yep. White night in a pickup truck. That's right. And, you know, he was, um, so I was 18 he was 27. Wow. Yep. And he, you know, he's, he was established. He, he had already built um, a pretty nice company that he owned and um, had his own, you know, every, everything, his own, everything, his own house, his own cars, his own everything. So I went home and packed up my stuff and told my mom, you know, I'll see you later. And she, you know, unfortunately she was right, but she was like, we'll see how long this lasts. So everything was rocking and rolling along. Everything was going great. And I was sitting in the library at school one day. I was like, 
I haven't had a period. Uh-oh. <laughs> it's like, where is my period? You know? And so on my way home, I stopped and got a, um, a pregnancy test. And the next morning before he was awake, I went into the bathroom and took it and it was positive. And I already knew it. Yeah, I knew yeah. it. I knew it. Mm-hmm. So I waited. And then when I told him, much to my surprise, he was ecstatic. Really? Picked me up, twirled me around, was like, woohoo, you know, because we were we live in the South and that's what you do in the South when you're excited. <laughs> Gotta have a big woo in there. So yeah, he was he was over the moon. And we we were talking about, you know, if it's a boy, we're gonna name him this, and if it's a girl, we're gonna name her that. And Everything was going along great until we told his dad. Uh-oh. And uh, his dad pulled me aside and told me that his son was not going to marry a whore. <gasps> oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. And that we, that we had already embarrassed him enough as it was. No. And we were, I mean, we were engaged to be married before the pregnancy test came back positive. And so I was like, well, I mean, we're not, it's not going to be that much longer, you know, that we're going to be right. married. I mean, what's the big deal? And he was like, mm-mm, you're not, mm-mm, we're not having a shotgun wedding. This is not going to happen. So he, and I, I want to put this out there to the universe and to everyone listening. I am pro-choice. Mm-hmm. I believe that a woman has the absolute autonomy over her body or should anyway. Mm-hmm. So his dad was like, you're going to have an abortion and here's a check. And mm-hmm. I don't want to hear another word about this. So we, he and my, my fiance and I talked about it that night yeah. and I told him, you know, what his dad had done. And he was just like, maybe he's right. You know? Oof. Yeah. And I was like, oh, so I'm a whore now. He's like, no, not that part, but maybe he's right. You know, we, we need to get married first before, before we have our kid. And so a few days later, I found myself at an abortion clinic. Oh, sweet. And, um, you know, they were very kind and wonderful and everything else. Um, but I didn't want to be there. I, di- I didn't want to have an abortion, you know, mm-hmm. and that was me exercising my right over my body. You know, I just did. I didn't want to do it. Right. So I was on the, I was on the table. My, my feet were in the stirrups, but the IV was already in my arm. And the nurse was like, okay, in a few minutes, I'm going to start counting backwards. And I could have probably just said, you know, I don't want to do this, but I panicked. I freaked out and I ripped the IV out of my arm and I took off running. I like got off of the table. They were trying, they were like, they were trying to grab me, hold me. And I'm, I'm really strong. I'm a, I've I've always been very strong. And I was like, I just pushed them off and I got adrenaline was at a hundred. My adrenaline was like off the charts and I ran to my car and I was still in my hospital gown with like no underwear. I was bleeding out of my arm. I'm sitting mm-hmm. in my car and I'm just trying to think, I'm just like, okay, Allison, let's just, just think, you know, and, and yet we have to remember like, this is a 19 year old teenager. 
not a, not a 40 year old, not a 50 year old, not a 30 year old, a 19 year old girl, you know, no experience to draw on, no experience, like no, like no experience of, of just of any of this, you know, I mean, I had been, I'd grown up in a lot of abuse, but not to that, not like, not like the abuse I was in, in that relationship. Right. And so I'm sitting in my car and, and I, I just, you know, I felt like I need to go back in the clinic. They need to wrap my arm. <laughs> I need to put my clothes back on. I need to, get, you know, I need to get my things. And so the nurse was standing at the door, just kind of making sure I was okay. And when I went back up to the door, she had band-aids. Oh. She had already put my clothes, you know, in a bag and mm-hmm. she handed them to me. And this is not in the book, but she looked at me and she said, you are so brave. And I was like, how so? And she's like, because you're fighting for yourself. Yes. That is courage personified, honey. Yeah. And so I went home and I lied. Mm -hmm. Not the best thing to do. But I told my fiance that I, you know, he's like, how are you doing? He like had dinner all made and the whole thing, you know, how are you doing? I'm like, I'm all right. It's like, okay. And then I made it, I think three weeks before the morning sickness set in, Yeah. which in that three week period, I was in total denial. Right. Oh, yeah. Didn't even think about it. I was going to school, going to work, going home, going to school, going to work. Life I mean, is like, usual. Life is usual, you know? And I mean, I had the bandaid on my arm to prove that I'd had an IV in my arm. And so I just was like total denial, total denial of the fact that I lied, just total, total denial. So I still have long hair, but it's not past my rear end. So I had really long hair and I'm in the bathroom throwing my guts up Mm -hmm. and he came into the bathroom and just like grabbed my, you know, grabbed all of the little strands from my hair and like twisted it up and put a clip in my hair, got a cold rag, put it on the back of my neck. And I could see his feet and I knew he was leaning up against the, the bathroom counter and he was just like, I knew you didn't do it. Mm-hmm. He was like, you've just been too okay. And um, I rolled over and I was lying down on the bathroom floor and I looked up at him and I was like, you hate me. And he said, no, I do not hate you. He's like, I just really don't know what to do. Like, I don't know what we're going to do. And I was like, well, why don't we just get married early? Just let's just get married now. We talked about packing up the car and moving to California. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's when you know that the person that you love is being completely controlled by their family, yeah. even, even though he was an adult man. Like This is what I've been thinking the whole time. You are two consenting adults in this relationship together. Yes. Mm. Yeah. And just, he had like this noose like around his neck that he just could not find the courage to, to release himself from. Did you guys live with his father or you had your own place? Okay. But he was was his house. Wow. His mortgage, his deed, like, yeah, his property. It wasn't Mm. even on his family's property, you know? So he was like, go to school. I'm going to talk to my, you know, I'll talk to dad. We'll, we'll work this out. I was like, please don't talk to him today. Like, please don't. I begged him. I was on my knees. I begged him. And he was like, I'm not going to talk to him today. Everything's fine. I went to school. 
I came home to change locks. You're shitting me. Oh my gosh. And all of my stuff was in the sleet that was pouring down outside. Oh my Lord. Mm -hmm. So I put as much of my stuff as I could into my Volkswagen, which is not very big. That little Volkswagen still getting you around. Yep. Drove to the same gas station where we had filled up my car, Mm -hmm. got, went on the payphone, called my mom and said, it, you're, you were right. Cause that's what you have to do with a narcissist. You were right. Mm-hmm. And I need to come home. And she was like, I told you so. Mm. So probably the last call on earth you wanted to make. Oh God. I, I was, I was crying so hard on the drive to her house. And of course she was asleep when I got home because that was just her thing to not ever have to look at me or have anything to do with me. And I made it a month before my fiance's dad and my mother talked on the phone. And I'm sure she probably called him to say like, what happened? What's going on? And then I got home from school that night and she was sitting at the kitchen table and I walked in and she was like, um, you fucking whore. Yep. And she was like, nobody wants you. And no, nobody wants that baby that you're carrying around inside of your stomach. You think you're so, I mean, she just, the whole thing, you think you're so smart. You think you're, so, and I just froze. Like, I'm just, cause I'm, I'd gone through this scenario with her so many times before of just yeah. verbally just yeah. destroying me. Right. And so when she got finished, she was like, he's right. You need to have an abortion. There's a check on your pillow. Oh my God. And if you don't have an abortion, you cannot live here. Wow. So, and I was like, I'm not going to have an abortion. I've already made that decision. And she was like, well, then you can't live here. And I was like, well, can we talk about it tomorrow? And she was like, yeah, sure. So I had already quit my jobs because I could not handle being pregnant and going to school and the whole thing that was going on. So My money had dwindled down to barely nothing. Mm. And when I got home from school that night, my mother had changed the locks. Wow. Yep. So So where did you go? I sat in my car, like screaming at God for like an hour. (laughs) Yeah. Because it was freezing. First of all, Georgia never gets like so cold that you can't survive kind of cold until that winter. Mm. like we were seeing temperatures of like 10 below zero 11 below zero like you can look it up it's the coldest winter on record in Georgia um so I'm I'm sitting in my car with the heat on and I just filled up my car with gas um and and my fiance had fixed my gas gauge so I knew that I had to pull well thank goodness for small wonders right exactly you did something (laughs) right um So I was just like, I don't know what you want me to do. I kept just saying like, I don't know what you want me to do because intuitively, like it was in my bones intuitively to carry that pregnancy to term. Yeah. I mean, it was just, it was, but I was like, it just goes to show you that the way that you feel is not, is not always the easiest way. 
Because the easy, the absolute easiest thing for me to have done would would have been like the very next day to just go have an abortion, call Billy on the payphone, take proof, say, look, honey, I did it. I had an abortion. He would have taken me back in. We would have gotten married and I could have just gone on with my life, but I would have hated I was myself. Well, and you would have hated potentially hated your life, right? Right. You would resent him for having made you go through this and live with his father and his father's reign over your relationship for who knows how long. Right. And there's a reason your emotions were telling you that. The emotions are the body's compass that tells you what your true north is. And you cannot ignore that. Right. You can't ignore it. No. And so I, I got, I just said, Allison, get really, really still because I'm a big believer in like, be still and know. Mm-hmm. And so I was just like, just get really still, like pull it together. And the second that I got still, I heard a voice and it said, drive back to campus, park in the warmest part of the parking garage that you can find and go to sleep. Well, that's oddly specific. Yeah. But that's what you needed to do in that moment to save yourself. Yeah. So I drove to, I, I drove back to the parking garage and I went to the, I'd all, I always parked on the roof and that's what I would have done had I not heard the voice. Cause I wouldn't, I just wouldn't have thought about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it wasn't assigned parking. It was just like you park wherever. So I went all the way down to the bottom, to the basement of the garage And I found like these two concrete pillars and I backed my car in between those two pillars and I went to sleep. Mm. Kind of, I mean, yeah. Right. Um, And then I woke up the next morning and I'm like, okay. And then I heard go to class. So I went to class and then in the afternoon I would say, okay. It was like, go to the library, study, go to the library until they were like, kick up, you know, like kick us out. And then when, when they kicked us out, I go to my car and go to sleep. So this is, this was going on for like two weeks. Wow. Yep. And I ran out of money. So I started eating out of the trash can. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It still makes me like, I can't, I just can't believe that, you know, that, that my life took me in that, you know, in that direction. And I feel so my heart like hurts for people to have to do that. You know, it's just so humiliating and degrading. Um, but anyway, I did it. And this, um, professor that was teaching us, um, she went on some kind of leave and it wasn't maternity. I don't know what kind of leave she went on, but she left and we got, uh, we had a substitute come in and I feel like he was kind of paying attention to me because I literally had I, I owned the clothes on my back and that was it. Um, and so I was wearing the same clothes to school, like every single day mm-hmm. I was taking a shower in the locker rooms, but I was wearing the same clothes. So, um, I could tell that he was just kind of scoping me out, watching me. And so we, I was in the library one day and he came over to me and he was like, Allison, do you know who Napoleon Hill is? And I was like, no, is that like a, movie star. I mean, I had no idea. <laughs> and he was like, no, actually he's an author. Um, and everybody knows that I love to read. I'm a big reader. And so he's like, here, I want you to read this book. And it was Think and Grow Rich. Mm. Now I tell everybody this, if I hadn't been homeless, I, I never would have read that book. Right. 
it never, I mean, but I didn't have anything else to do. I did my homework, you know, in the library and some of it in my car, but then I would be sitting in my car, which was not safe. I mean, there were homeless people in the parking garage. There was, um, I would, I would sometimes know that there were like drug deals going down. Um, there were just all kinds of things happening in that parking garage. And so I would sleep maybe an hour or two at night, but I was awake the rest of the time and mm-hmm. I was right underneath a light. And so I just started reading, thinking grow rich. Mm-hmm. And the, the sum of that book is what you think you become. Yes. And so one night I was just, I was, I was getting, I was really like, I started thinking about suicide and that's when I knew that I was getting toward the end of my rope. I started thinking about jumping off of the buildings downtown. Mm -hmm. I started thinking about tying bricks to myself and jumping in the river and just, I would have frozen to death anyway, but I I was like, there's gotta be a way to do this where it's going to be quick. And, and I can just like take, just get out of here. Um, but again, there was just something inside of me that's like, that's not your journey. Mm-hmm. So I started applying the principles and I thought, you know, one night I was in the car and I was just like, you know what, I'm going to manifest and I'm going to, I'm going to think about eating a meal that someone buys and throws away without taking any bites out of it or doing anything with it. And the next day I found a full order of French fries and a McDonald's bag <laughs> that no one had touched. And I was like, there's something to this, you know? So I started picturing. And I love to start small, right? Yeah. Right. Start small. Don't start with, oh, I'm going to manifest a $200,000 house for me to live in, sleep in. Right. Cause you don't believe it anyway. Yeah. Yeah. You can't manifest what you don't believe. Yes. Yeah. It's possible. It's just not, it, it, you know, they, they have to go together because your brain knows when you're lying. Yeah. And it'll just work against you. So, but I did, I did believe that, you know, I had evidence that I had been rescued out of my car once before because my fiance had rescued me. So I was like, you know what? I can get rescued out of this car. And I started imagining, I didn't know if it was going to be a man or a woman, but I started imagining getting out of the car and being in a warm, room a warm bed because you know I mean I was peeing in the garage uh, miserable yeah um and I my my I was starting to show like my belt like my clothes were getting too tight um mm-hmm. and uh you know I could feel I could feel my child moving inside of me mm-hmm. so I'm like I you know I've either got to kill both of us or I got to get out of here like it's mm-hmm. there's not there's not a choice so I was every night manifesting this warm room and one particular night I was like, you know what? I'm going to put curtains on the windows. And I imagined these curtains with these tiny little flowers on them. And there was just something about those curtains that inside of me, I was like, I believe this. I believe ripped your belief wire. It just was like, I was just like, I believe this. I believe this. And so it was three or four nights later is when I told God, I'm like, well, I'm not going to have to commit suicide because I'm going to freeze to death. Hmm. I was literally like my whole body was just like, I was like, I was on top of like mats I had stolen (laughs) 
I was on top of like a coat I had stolen. I was on top of like towels that I had taken. Like I was like, I was a thief um, to stay warm. And I was like underneath like all of this stuff. And I heard a knock on my car window. And I thought, oh, it's going to be another like dude, like trying to get sex from me or whatever. And I opened up the car door and it was my professor who had given me thinking oh. very rich. Oh, wow. And he was like, Allison, I told my wife that I had a feeling that you were living in your car. And I was like, no, I'm not living. I'm not living here. I'm just, I'm just camped out here. Temporarily. I'm not living. And he was like, Allison, you're living in your car. And I was like, okay. And he's like, start it up, follow me home. And I was like, there's no gas in my car and I have no money. And he was like, then get in my truck. And it was a pickup truck. He drove a pickup truck. It was crazy. And he was like, my wife, trend. <laughs> yeah, he's like, he's like, um, you know, my wife is waiting for us at home and she's made you a warm, a warm meal and she's waiting for us. And so I got in his pickup truck and on the way to his house, he was like, listen, this isn't long-term because he had a son that was getting ready to move back home with them. And he's like, but you can stay with us until until we figure this out, we're going to figure something out. So I got to their house and his wife was just, God, she was so beautiful and so lovely. And she led me to the guest room. She opened up the door and the curtains that I had imagined in my car were hanging on their window. And I just, (laughs) I mean, and she was like, what is it? And I'm like, I'll tell you later. Like I, I couldn't even speak. Like I was just, I couldn't get it out. So then to fast forward, um, my son was born. Um, I ended up going through Catholic social services. Uh, I placed him for adoption. The last night that I was in the hospital, um, I was changing my mind. I was going back and forth. It's, it is the, to this day, the hardest thing I've ever lived through ever. Okay. Um, don't recommend it. Don't recommend it. It's it's just it's very it's it's really really hard on your soul to yeah. place the child for adoption. So that night in the hospital room, you know, I was just like, God, I, I just I don't think I can do this. Like I just I don't think I can do it, and I I don't know how I'm gonna how I'm gonna parent him, but I I just I can't do this. And I heard several times, if you sign the adoption papers, you'll see him again. Well, this is a closed adoption. Like mm-hmm. his parents knew nothing about me and I knew absolutely nothing about them. Um, but I believed it because that voice had gotten me to that point. So I had turned 20 while I was during my pregnancy. And so at 20 years old, I walked out of the hospital without my son. Yeah. And it was just so, it was just so crazy. And, and there were some really, really dark days, you know, that followed that, but I kept leaning into, you'll see him again, you'll see him again. And so, you know, I was in therapy and I had dropped out of school. I got back in school. Yeah. I got back in school, got an amazing job. And was doing, you know, loads and loads and loads of self-work and doing all the things. Were you still living with the professor at this point? 
Yeah, that okay. stopped. I only stayed with them for 72 hours. Oh, okay. Yep. And the Catholic Social Services um, moved me to like a host family. So I was okay. staying in their carriage house apartment. Yeah. And then after my son was born, unfortunately, I went back and lived with my mother mm. for two, two and a half years until I could get out of there again. You know, and that's a whole nother. That's, that's a whole nother. That's your next book. Yeah. And that's, and that's a whole nother podcast too. Yeah. So, so 24 years later, I'm sound asleep and my bed literally shook. And that's the only way I can describe it. And I heard that very same voice and it said, Allison, it's time. Stop. Yeah. So I got out of my bed and I made a bit really strong pot of coffee. And I opened up did you know what was going I knew happen? I you knew, knew exactly what it meant I knew exactly what it meant I still get chills to this day oh. I still get chills and so I I opened up my laptop and googled Catholic social services and that's it said that they opened at eight o'clock in the morning and at eight o'clock in the morning I was their very first phone call and I, I spoke to a woman and she was like, oh my gosh, you know, unfortunately you had a closed adoption because the very next year they opened adoption in oh, Georgia wow. where you like mm. pictures and do other things. She's like, I'm so sorry. Like this is going to take so long for your, for you and your son to reunite together. You know, are you sure you want to do this? And I was like, hell yeah, I want to do it. <laughs> so she faxed all the paperwork to me. I filled out the paperwork that day and faxed the paperwork back and the very next day they called me wow yeah and she was like there's only one way to tell you this and I was like what what is happening and she's like you and your son faxed your paperwork in at the exact same time no oh my gosh minutes apart wow that is that's unbelievable amazing Five days later, we were standing across from one another. Oh, what was that like? It was beautiful. It was, it was amazing. Um, he's a beautiful, beautiful soul. And unfortunately, we don't have a relationship. I think it's just too hard. It's too much yeah. for both of us. I think mm-hmm. um, I would be lying if I said it was just too hard on him. I think it's too, it's too hard on both of us. Um, but that's not what the promise was. Yeah. Right. The promise was that we would see each other mm-hmm. and I was at his wedding and oh, danced at his wedding and, and had just, I mean, it was just beautiful. It was so wonderful to be at his wedding and, and experience that with him. And then we just kind of faded off into the sunset after that. But mm-hmm. that's not what the story is about. The story is about becoming And so when you look back and you think about what you have become, describe that for us. I have become the woman whose trauma and abuse does not define her. In a nutshell, that's who I've become. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So if you're not defined by your trauma or your abuse, who are you? What, what qualities and characteristics would you describe this beautiful woman that you've become despite all of the trauma and the abuse? Um, I have a really big heart. 
I have a lot of compassion and empathy for people's um, pain, completely non-judgmental. What do you need from me? You know, I, I just, I just, and it, it's, it's challenging sometimes to, to have a clean slate and not be judgmental um, when it comes to things like that, because I find that people want to pull me in to their story. They want me to judge them Mm. because they're so familiar with being judged that it's almost like they don't believe me when I tell them that I have no judgment about it one way or the other. Um, So that can be a little bit challenging sometimes. I'm also you know, a brainiac, like what I I do cognitive behavioral work. That's what I do. And I combine it with spirituality. I'm a a very spiritual person. I've had a lot of spiritual encounters. The the most significant one in my life was when I was four years old, maybe five, I was accidentally hit in the head with a baseball bat during a neighborhood uh, baseball game. And I was dying in the backseat of of our station wagon. Um, I kept leaving and coming back and leaving and coming back. My grandmother, who was like extremely religious, I was like in her lap and she was just praying, praying over me. And I just remember leaving and sitting in the seat, you know, my feet didn't touch the floorboard. You know, I was so, I was so little, I was sitting in the seat and this brown man with green eyes was next to me. And I just knew it was Jesus, you know? Mm-hmm. And he was like, you know, it's not your time yet. Right. You, you've got to go back. I know it hurts. I know, I know it hurts. It's really painful, but you've got to get back in your body. Yeah. So Jesus is a black man. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I know it. Yeah. I mean, if you just, just do history, I mean, just do a history lesson. Right. And I would get in trouble for that too. Like we had a picture in our church of Jesus with, you know, long blonde wavy mm-hmm. hair and these big blue eyes. And every time I would pass it, I would be like, who's that? You know, and I got my mouth washed out with soap when I argued and said, you know, that's not, that's not Jesus. That's, you know, that Jesus doesn't look like that. Yeah. So I'm very spiritual. Um, not religious at all. Very pro woman, you know, meaning that we need to be not vice president, but president. We need to be running this country. Men have run it long enough and they need to just hand over the baton and let us try it for a little while and see what happens. Yeah, that's, that, that's who I am. And I, 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 does fear come into play um, in my life? Absolutely. You know, do I get mad? Yeah. Hell yeah, I do. Do I get scared? Yeah. Every day, you know, but, but it doesn't, it doesn't pave the path that I walk on. Yes, 100%. So as a transformational coach, tell us, you know, maybe one or two tips that you like to share in your practice um, with women who are finding their way, finding their way from current state to transformation. Well, the very first thing I tell them is buy some sparkling water or some champagne and pop that thing open and celebrate yourself because we make transformation so serious, you know, and it's not, it needs to be something that is celebrated every single day. Like you need to be drinking a mimosa every day and just, I can commit to that and just being like, listen, 
you know, I am on this wonderful transformational path. So that's one thing. The second thing is that resistance is fear and fear is resistance. And that's all it is. Unless you're in danger, Mm -hmm. fear has no place. I think it's probably the biggest tripping point for all of us, right? Yes. So much is rooted in that. How do we start to recognize that and push past it, step over it, go around it, swim under it? We don't. We don't. We don't do any of those things because that's what we're that's what we're trained to do growing up yeah. is shove it all down and ignore it, right? So you have to face your fear. And the 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 way the the best possible way to face your fear is to look at the stories that you believe where the end of that story is you've lost. So you're out of money. You're not loved. You're not pretty. You're not enough. You're not rich enough. You're not famous enough. All all those things that you're like, oh my gosh, you know, this is how I'm going to end up. You got to look at that because the, the underneath, underneath all of that is the story that you're telling yourself when, when you're all alone in the room Yeah, and you got to heal that story. Yes. Well, and so that's what I was sitting here thinking, right? Because a lot of these fears are tend to be rooted in those childhood traumas that you've survived and we all have survived. So I love this idea of really healing. What is the root cause? Because we can do a lot of things to make us feel better for the short term, but really we can't move past the fear unless we solve that inner trauma. So what do you recommend that we can do to actually heal that inner child or that that wound that happened or wounds in your case, perhaps so long ago? Yeah, so the very first thing is to identify that moment, that very first moment when you felt threatened or you didn't feel safe, whichever, whichever one of those resonates with you the most, because in that moment is where your perception of the world changed. And in that moment is where your perception of yourself changed. And that is the definition of trauma. And as soon as you can figure out like the very first time, then you have the basis to work with because that very first time you created some kind of story in your brain to be able to survive and thrive from that place of dad doesn't love me. Mom hates me, you know, grandpa, whatever. And here's the thing that trauma could have been that you didn't get a Raggedy Ann doll for Christmas after you begged every single person in, in your life that you wanted a Raggedy Ann doll and you open up the box and it's a pair of tennis shoes that you didn't want. It doesn't have to be rape. It doesn't have to be murder. It doesn't have to be some big, big thing. You're the story of, of who you decided you were could just be that, you know, grandma always fed you ice cream every time you cried. And so you weren't seen or heard your face was just stuffed full of sugar to get you to be quiet so that she could go and watch days of our lives. Yes. So it's, it's really, it's unpacking that story and understanding that that is where the healing has to begin. That is you. Like that is, that is who you are. Mm. And you've got to change that little girl's story 
from an adult perspective. You've got to go in and pretty much rescue yourself in that moment. Mm, wow. Become your own superhero. Yes. Yeah. Own yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, so many people are forward facing and so many coaches are forward facing. Let's just go, you know, make the big bucks. Let's just go and find the perfect guy. We're going to tell you exactly how to place your hands and how to, you know, how to dress and how to talk so that you can get the perfect guy. But once you, you know, it's just like, Mm -hmm. oh, it just makes me crazy. I'm like, no, that's not, that's not how to make your life better. Not that a perfect guy doesn't, I mean, listen, I'm all about the perfect, you know, lover or whatever, Yeah. but that's not the solution to your problem. Not to define me. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. Wow. Well, what is next for you, Allison? Last week you released your book, which I want all of our listeners to go and check out the spiritual journey, the part that no one talks about. I would love for everyone to go and check that book out, but what is next for you? So I have a lot going on. I'm so excited about it. I'm speaking at Harvard next in two weeks. I'm talking about how professionalism doesn't work until you heal heal your personal story. Mm. Because, you know, you are where you are. We should get a ticket, Shelby. Let's go. I know. (laughs) Yeah, it's free. In this time of year. Yeah, (laughs) it's free. So come. Yeah. All right. Um, I'll send you guys a link. You can. I love it. I would love to have you in the audience. So yeah, I've got that going on. I have a big event that I'm doing in October, the 19th, the 20th, and 21st. This is my event. It's called Behind the Power. And it's a place for men and women to come. And you're going to learn exactly what Shelby asked today, which is, okay, Allison, I've got this trauma. Now, how do I heal it so that I can get to the other side of it and become the absolute best version of myself? You're going to take a deep dive with me and I'm going to walk you through step-by-step how to heal all of that. And in addition to that, I have 13 other coaches who are going to be doing breakout sessions and panels and just doing like one-on-one coaching with people to really drill down what is going on with them. So we are like, I'm so excited about that event. I'm so excited. Oh, that sounds phenomenal. So if, if, Um, Our listeners, you're listening to this and they want to reach out to you for transformational coaching or to know about any of these events or what is coming next in the life of Allison Roberts. How do they reach you? Go to allisonroberts.com and there is a free meditation so they can download that meditation and that will give them all of the ways to contact me when they, once they do that. I love it. Well, thank you so much for joining us and for sharing your story, your story of surviving and overcoming and listening to your intuition and being guided. And that if we can trust that still small voice and to be still and know that we all have the power to create the life that is before us and transform. Oh my gosh. We have so much power. Yes. I Thank love that. So much, and beyond Alice. fear, we can exercise that power and just yes. thrive. And we love your story. Thank you so much for sharing. Yeah. Thank you guys so much for having me. 
Let's thank our guest today, Allison Roberts, for leaving us with so many juicy nuggets of wisdom. Here are some that I walked away with. Number one, you find yourself when you make the hardest decisions. Number two, sometimes our saviors are the most unlikely suspects. Number three, listen to what the future is telling you and manifest the life you want. Number four, the story is about becoming. Number five, your trauma and abuse do not define you. Number six, celebrate yourself. And number seven, resistance is fear and fear is resistance. Please check out Allison's new book, The Spiritual Journey, anywhere you can buy books. And if you're liking the Dear Midlife podcast, please leave us a review.